You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello. Thank you so much for still being here, everyone. Uh, my name is Leanne Caldwell. I am an anchor at Washington Post Live and co-author of the Early 202 newsletter. And I am so thrilled to be joined by these wonderful, incredible women, people, but also reporters. So we have Jackie Alemany, which I'm going to read everyone's titles so I don't get them wrong because I don't even know. Congressional Investigations Reporter. Caroline Kitchener, national reporter who covers uh, abortion and has won a Pulitzer. Um, Mariana Sotomayor, congressional reporter. And Brianna Tucker, deputy campaign editor. Thank you all so much for being here. So Jackie, I'm going to start with you. So congressional investigations reporter, that's such a kind of random title. So do you, um, you cover investigations. Um, but you also are an investigative reporter. So can you talk about that, especially in the this era of Donald Trump, what an investigation looks like and kind of what is most surprising to you when you started this job a year and a half ago? Yeah, Leanne, um, it's certainly a very broad title. That was actually <laughs> one of the draws of uh, the job when it was being described to me by the great Tom Hamburger, who was uh, just recently retired from the Post and was doing a job a little similar to this with the same title where uh, he basically said, you should go ahead and run with this job. You can basically investigate anything that Congress investigates, which is everything. Um, there is a congressional investigation being announced every other day, some of them more substantive and serious than others. Um, I think what I didn't anticipate about this job is the all of the sort of roller coaster of Trump investigations that, that we are now on, which is four different criminal investigations and a, a multitude of civil investigations, uh, and the legal education that I have um, since gotten as a result of a lot of these investigations. When I was covering the January 6th uh, investigation that the House was conducting, um, which is kind of what, what I started with when I went into this job, um, it, it, we were led into the Mar-a-Lago docks investigation. That was a story that kind of came out of some of the reporting on January 6th that we were doing when the January 6th committee came across these torn up documents that they had gotten uh, received from the National Archives after issuing a number of subpoenas. As a result of that, there was this whole other investigation that, that came out of January 6th into the way that the former president was destroying and keeping and, and essentially stealing these classified documents and, and presidential records, taking them back to Mar-a-Lago. So I think that is one angle I really could not have anticipated. I think probably America couldn't have yeah. foreseen as well and has uh, really added a new layer of seriousness to, I think, the job that I, again, um, was, was not necessarily expecting but have uh, quickly gotten up to speed on from... Um, our amazing Justice Department reporters and all of the, the legal voices and, and sources that I've accumulated in, in the time since covering those stories. Yeah, talking about unexpected, I remember when you broke the news about the Trump documents, how just shocking and draw-dropping that story was. Um, Caroline, so you have covered abortion and women's health for 
a while. And like I said, you just won a Pulitzer last year because of your coverage. I'm gonna ask you, does it help being a woman covering this issue? Absolutely, it helps. Um, I spend a lot of my time with the people that are most directly affected by abortion bans. So I spend a lot of time talking to women who are either struggling to get an abortion or have accepted that they can't. Um, you know, I'm, I'm asking people like how they felt when they realized that they'd missed their period. I'm asking people how they felt when they were on the bed and had an ultrasound, you know, like a vaginal probe. <laughs> like these are yeah. these are very intimate and personal conversations, um, and I I do think that it helps um, that I can understand. You know, so I can understand some of these things, um, I think, uh, in a different way than a male reporter would be able to. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite stories um, from the fallout of the, um, of the Dobbs decision and, and all of these abortion bans um, has been, it was a story about an 18-year-old girl in Texas who found out that she was pregnant right before the Texas abortion ban took effect. and. Um, she couldn't get an abortion. And she um, just, you know, she now has twins. And I went and I, um, you know, I I've now, I've, I've actually written two stories about her. And I spent, I don't know, I spent about three weeks with her so far. And, mm -hmm. um, and those conversations are incredibly personal. They are really hard questions about, what it means to be 18 and a mom and struggling to cover basic expenses for your children when all you want to do is go out to the bar with your friends, but yeah. you can't. Um, and I feel like I, um, th that for me, creating that trust and earning that trust with the women that I write about is, um, it is the it is an immense responsibility, and it's absolutely the best part of my job. Yeah, and you do it so well. We are just taken so deeply into the characters and the issues when you write. So beautiful, Mariana. Uh, we, along with Jackie, roam the hills of Congress all the time. It has obviously you cover the House specifically, which has been quite the story this year. Um, there's been a lot of storylines. There's been the speakers fight twice, there's been almost government shutdown, all sorts of things. What has been your favorite thing to cover this year? And maybe what is your least favorite, if that's the better way to answer it? Yeah, um, I will say a couple hours ago, I was with McCarthy, um, literally a second after he had elbowed the other congressman. So like that is the kind <laughs> of life that we live. You just never know where you'll be or what you'll witness. All these fights so, on Capitol Hill and they all, all involve men. Indeed, yes. The tensions are something special among all of them. Um, and they Therapy. will say as much to us privately about how they really feel about um, their fellow colleagues. But, you know, sometimes those pettier fights are things that we have to cover. Um, they're not necessarily the most fun necessarily because there's obviously bigger conversations that are happening. And I think we really do like to kind of delve into whether it's the policy or even like the politics that really has dominated this entire year amongst the House Republicans. And I think though there have been many storylines, I think it's hard to pick just one 
But I will say my favorite thing is seeing the through line between a number of them. So yes, we had the speakership fight this year and it was in that moment that we knew about the tensions, the just how all the resentments that Republican members had had, the goals that they wanted in this majority, and how they likely weren't going to be able to achieve them because of the constant headbutting that they have experienced. And there are a number of Republicans and Democrats who actually want to govern and get things done. But as we have seen in this Congress and also the last House majority under Democrats, the majority is razor thin. So that's when you have the more extreme, louder voices. They just have more power. They have more influence. And that has been the tension that has been interesting to me just to watch and follow because obviously the Democrats have been very different from Republicans. Democrats have been able to fund the government. They haven't ousted their speaker. Um, Republicans are much more ready to throw in the towel and kind of have that fight. Mm -hmm. um, but it really is the makeup of, of the House. A lot of the ideas, though different from the politics or the political party, you still have the extremes. You have those moderates. You have the ones who want to govern. And they're just constantly unable to be able, more so on the Republican side, unable to get things done. And it's been interesting to even see now this new speaker, Mike Johnson. We're obviously starting to realize and understand who he is, what kind of leader he is. But so are his own Republican colleagues who literally had no idea who he was. So we're all almost finding out things together, which tends to not happen, right? Because yeah. a lot of these members have known each other for a long time or they're seasoned reporters who've covered these people. Um, so it really makes for an interesting time. Definitely makes me want to at least keep coming back <laughs> covering <laughs> these, these guys and women, I should say. Yes. Um, Brianna, so you uh, are deputy campaign editor. editor. Um, previously, just immediately before this, you were also a next-gen editor, which is tr um, tries to reach young people with our coverage. So with the outlook of these two positions, can you talk a little bit about how young people are responding not only to news consumption, but also politics in this day and age right now? Yeah, um, I think it's pretty obvious, not just as a voter blog, but also as an audience, right? Young people, 18 to 29 in the last 2022 midterms, that was their second highest turnout in almost three decades, um, which is pretty incredible for a non-presidential year. So they are engaged. They do want this coverage. They're paying attention. Um, I think about as well as the moment that we're in, like c Congress being one of them, um, a pandemic that we're just gotten through, the jobs right now, the economy, how they're thinking about their education, abortion, all these issues that are very connected. And I think this generation especially, um, they see these issues with just a certain intersectionality and right now, especially in the way that we engage them, not just in our politics coverage, but even in that role especially, um, we did a lot of experimental projects and storytelling in a way that wasn't just kind of straightforward, you know, your 20-minute news story that might lose certain audiences, but how can we bring this news to them in a way that's not just explaining the news, um, that is super visual, very dynamic. Um, they are included in the news. I think some of the best ways to get people to 
read stories is to write about them. Um, they are not just the audience, but they are the story. And so thinking through how we can also reach them on the platforms that they're on, going to them, that means you know engaging with TikTok, engaging with X, encouraging our reporters as well, um, not just to be uh, the messenger of their stories, but also talk to their audiences, um, respond to them, you know, build relationships with them on these platforms. Um, and I think that we've seen that they do want this news. They are a legitimate news audience who is invested in understanding the world around them and what's going on. Um, and they should be taken seriously. And going into 2024 as well, Gen Z and millennials are gonna make up almost 40% of the electorate. So let, we, we, yeah. Let me just ask you about that specifically. For Gen Z millennials, 40% of the electorate, we are probably gonna have the two oldest candidates in Donald yeah. Trump and Joe Biden yeah. um, in a rematch that not many people want. Are you seeing any signs that young people specifically are even more frustrated with the choices or lack thereof than even the broader voter population? Yes, uh, we are. I think just throughout our reporting over the last month's year, um, we've seen a lot of young people on Democrat side and Republicans just feel a lack of um, options and just very frustrated with what seems to be kind of an inevitable choice, um, especially on the Republican side. It feels, you know, that voters and also just you know students whoever um, under 30 have felt it is becoming like a binary decision between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley um, if that is to be a Trump alternative and then even with Biden I think um, just the the challengers that have come out in third party whether it's Jill Stein or JF or sorry RFK um, uh, Dean Phillips like really mounting a significant challenge and just a serious opposition um, a lot of people that we've talked to in our reporting and on the trail have voiced that they feel like it, it is an inevitable rematch that they are just really dreading. Mm -hmm. And Mariana, sticking with 2024, again, you cover the House. As you mentioned, a super slim majority in this Republican, three, four, sometimes on a, the best day, a five-seat yeah. difference. Um, similar last year with the Democratic majority, too. So what do you think the challenge is? What do you think Republicans can do? And is there any chance of them maintaining control after the next election? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because Republicans need to defend five seats. Democrats just have to win five seats to win back the majority. So it's always better in some ways when you're in the minority because you can see the vision better and you're always in attack mode, right? So anything that Republicans can't do right, Democrats are like, look, we can govern, we can do this, we can do this, give us give us the keys to the car and we won't crash it, I promise. So it, it makes it for easier messaging and that's what you hear a lot from Democrats, like we're gonna be able to do this. And they say that the issues are on their side. When it comes to Republicans, honestly, so during the three weeks of speakership battles, who is it gonna be? I think it became very clear to many Republicans that they just can never agree. So it was actually kind of fascinating that they found Mike Johnson and all of them were able to vote for him. But it was moments like that where those members went back to their districts and they heard from their own constituents said, oh my gosh, you guys cannot govern. What, what are you guys doing up there? You can't agree, what's happening? And that's when I started to hear, and I'm sure you will have as well, a couple of Republicans starting to say, I think we might lose the majority just based on the fact that we can't get there. And there's that was probably the biggest test, but we have the funding fight. Obviously right now they're debating govern, governing government funding for the short term. It looks like that's gonna pass. Um, 
but there's gonna be all these other obstacles where Republicans know they're not gonna be able to get to an agreement. And what does that mean? And what do the loud ones say and kind of go out there and tell the public? But, you know, I think somewhere where Republicans very much see an opportunity and actually hold on to is, is what Democrats are targeting, which are the states of California and New York. There's these two liberal states mm -hmm. where, even though abortion has been on the ballot, I think in one of them, you would know better than me which one, um, they actually, like, voters there know that abortion is not gonna be an issue, like, for them. They will always have access. So they are actually voting on inflation, on the economy, on crime, on the immigration issue. And as we have seen in a number of polls and also have been hearing from those Democratic leaders when it comes to, for example, the migrant crisis, they've been asking for more help. And Republicans are actually poll better on those issues. And they see an opportunity to at least be able to hold on to those seats that they have, which did help them bring them to the majority. But it is gonna be difficult because, again, those tensions, the far right makes those super vulnerable swing street swing district members vote on really tough things. And we're gonna find out, I'm sure, soon enough what those what constituents in those districts in particular think about the votes that they've taken. So Caroline, on this issue of abortion, um, what has been, you know, we obviously know this is a political issue, but what has been the most I don't I'm it's been a very serious day, so I'm going to say, what has been the most um, hopeful part of your coverage? Oh, man. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, you know, it depends on where you sit. Um, but certainly, um, abortion rights advocates are so excited to see how much energy there is for this issue. And especially after Ohio, you're just seeing everybody in all of these different states start to, I mean, they've been strategizing, but, but, but just doubling down to see how can we get this on the ballot? What can we do? And then you're also seeing the Republicans in those states saying, oh my gosh, oh no, what can we do to stop this? Um, and I think you're, you're really seeing in an interesting way, Democrats pushing for particular states particularly hard. So you're seeing Florida, um, Nevada, um, Arizona states, real swing states, um, where Democrats recognize that if they can put abortion on the ballot um, as a yes, no, protect, don't protect, that's really going to help them yeah. um, in some of these really tough, uh, tough presidential, some of these states that are that are going to be hard for um, for President Biden. Um, Jackie, we don't have a lot of time left, um, and so if you can answer relatively quickly, because I want to do one. Actually, I'm going to just ask you this. Um, you obviously cover Trump right now, House Republicans a lot. So, what are you looking for in this year? Um, heading into 2024? What do you think is going to be a defining moment or what are you going to be watching? Oh, that's a hard question. Mm -hmm. um, well, while I, I'll filibuster briefly. When you were saying what kinds of questions you ask voters on a, and, and the people that you're covering on a daily basis, it's just like such a stark contrast to the kinds of questions we are asking lawmakers right now, which is like, Kevin McCarthy, did you actually punch Tim Burchett today? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm hoping that we can move beyond some of the sillier seasons that we have been seeing. And, and Sometimes we're all drama correspondents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and focus a little bit more on these substantive policy conversations that are not getting a lot of oxygen or airtime 
right now, especially going into such a major election, yeah. midterm presidential year. Um, but that is why I do love my beat so much because I get to sort of zig when everyone else zags. Mm -hmm. um, and, and go, you know, con there are millions of stories in Congress. It's just about the places that you're willing to go to to find them. Um, so whatever, whatever is like the least obvious right now is probably the direction I'm going to head in. Jackie's brain is so amazing how she works that way. We're like, how did you think of that? Um, we are out of time. Jackie Alemany, Caroline Kitchener, Mariana Sotomayor, Brianna Tucker, thank you all so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.